Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Last Word on Sens podcast. Uh, this week we have Chris Stevenson from TSN 1200 on, and uh, the two of us get into a, a bunch of conversations about the Sens this year, going forward, you know, what they should look like. Uh, we have a discussion about Thomas Shabbat as well, and you know, what more we want to see. Is it good enough what he's done so far this year? Uh, lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, I think you guys will all really enjoy it. Um, I just want to say once again, you know, it feels like I'm saying this every week, but thank you so much for the support. Uh, I think the Twitter account's up over 400 followers now, which uh, is honestly awesome. It doesn't seem like that much, but considering I started it literally probably two or three months ago, uh, I, I'm really, uh, really impressed. And so thank you everyone for the support and, and liking and sharing as always. It means a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, as always, if there's anyone you want to hear on the podcast, just let me know because I'm I'm always open to figuring out who is, who should the next guest be. Um, so yeah, this will be the, the episode for this week. And then unfortunately, I don't have a laptop for the rest of this weekend. So the next podcast probably won't get recorded until Monday or Tuesday, but uh, look out for that as well. So um, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. The podca- podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends. Um, I hope you all enjoy and thank you for listening. Joining me now, he is a TSN or NHL analyst for TSN twelve hundred, Chris Stevenson. Chris, how's it going, man? Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Looking yeah, forward anytime. to it. Yeah, anytime. Um, yeah, we got a bit busy week. A lot, a lot of stuff happened this week that you know we get to talk about. It uh, feels like every week's kind of like that now, with just how condensed the schedule is. There hasn't been not too many times where in eight days you get five games to talk about, but that's what the shortened season's bringing us this. Uh, this year and you know lots to break down uh overall i'd say it was an all right week for ottawa you know they they do go two and three on the on the week but i thought there was a, a lot of high points from the game so let's start with the uh, last monday you know dialing all the way back when uh, they come out and they beat the calgary flames five to one after after they lose six to three uh to them saturday they come out beat them five to one uh pretty handily as well you know a, a pretty dominant game overall one of the better ones i think we've seen them play this season yeah, and I think, you know, it's kind of indicative of what we've seen from the Senators. I mean, after, what was the coach's word the other day? Horrific or something to describe the start of the season? Yeah. You know, I think if we if we park those, those games, um, you know, that game against Calgary was kind of Ottawa at its best, right? Like they played, uh, I always think they play their best when they're defending and attacking with five-man units. And I think when we've seen them play their, their best hockey, it's been when you see them connected on the ice like that, um, giving each other like good options in the defensive zone in terms of exits and short passes to be able to, to get out of the zone. When they get into to problems, it's when they start getting too spread out and too disconnected on, on the ice. And you know, I thought that Calgary game was a great example. I think I actually tweeted that. I liked the way that they were attacking and defending in five men, in five man units. So I think that was probably my biggest takeaway. And and that's the way they need to play to be, to be successful, right now. And I think the uh, particularly in the defensive zone. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point. Where I, I also think you know the opposite of that happens when you see them start running around. It's. Uh, it, it's a lot of times guys just trying to do way too much by themselves, you know, whether that's Thomas Shabbat or even, you know, I think Tim Stutzel at times this year has fallen victim to that where, um, and it's understandable. Sometimes they probably feel like they just don't have a ton of help, but it definitely makes it way easier when you can just move that puck quickly and efficiently to all five men on the ice. No question. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you talk about the, when you talk about the young guys, I think that's, 
you know, part of the learning curve for them for sure is, is learning how to play within that, that team concept. And, and uh, every coach is going to have his little uh, idiosyncrasies in terms of the way that he wants his team to play. So, you know, I think there's going to be an adjustment period for them. Don't forget, I mean, we, we talked about this being the halfway point of the season as we sit here today, but it's still only 26 games, right? We're only, or 27 games. We'd only be uh, looking at, at um, you know, just past the quarter point of a regular season. So I think we need to take that in consideration too when we're looking at the, uh, when we're looking at the learning curve for some of these, for some of these young guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's an amazing point because, yeah, it feels like we're, again, we're just so many games in such little time. It feels like we're deep into a season, but you take a step back and you look and you go, well, there'd just still be like tons and tons of hockey to play yet if this was a, yeah. a normal season, right? And I think with that condensed schedule, what we're seeing as well is some nights when the guys just don't have it, it's just going to be a bad performance and and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's not just an Ottawa thing either. I mean, you look around the league and, you know, you see Edmonton have off nights for sure. Uh, you know, Montreal's had a bunch, Winnipeg and other divisions as well. Like the Leafs, it's just, the, the Leafs just, you know, the Leafs after they dominated Edmonton went in and lost a couple to Vancouver exactly it's it's happening to everyone and, and you know in other divisions too so it's something that's going to happen and you know with a young a young senators team it's something that you know you really just have to to remember and um you know i i think that was kind of the not the case maybe in montreal but they definitely looked a little more flat going to montreal or playing against the the canadians on uh um, the second, you know, there was night two of a back-to-back and I feel like it's been, there's been a couple times this year where they've really struggled to find their legs sometimes with those. Um, it was an all right game. You know, they, they, they lose uh, three to one as the final, but they, they hung in there and they made it really, really close in the third. And to me, that was the biggest takeaway from the game is yes, they lost it. And yeah, they didn't get any points, but um, th- there was really a scenario there. I think when you're, you know, heading into the third and you're down or, you're, you know, you're losing in the third period, they could really shut it down. And they didn't, they, they kept the, the foot on the pedal and, and at least made it close at the end. Yeah, that was, that was the, uh, the game that was probably most notable for that sequence by good, good Branson, right. When he failed to get the red line and, and iced the puck and, and, uh, they ended up, um, he ended up taking the, the double minor penalty and, and they gave up a couple of goals on that whole, uh, sequence, which really was the difference. It wound up being the difference in the game, you know, and I think about, uh, we'll get to it, but I think about the game last night, I thought that was maybe good Branson's best game of, of the, uh, of the season last night. And I say that just to put things in, in context, because, um, you know, we look back on that three to one loss to the Canadians and, and I thought the score was maybe a little bit flattering for, for the senators. Like you said, they always seem to be just kind of like a shot away from being able to be right back in that game. But um, on the back end of the back to back, you felt like, you know, maybe they, I just, I felt like I said, I, I just felt like the score flattered them a little bit, but you know, everybody was on good, including me was on good Branson after that game because of of what really was a mental error in not getting the red line and causing the icing call and and basically starting that whole sequence that wound up being the difference in the game but I bring that up as you know an example of of uh, some of the good things that's happened for the Senators this season and that's we've seen all kinds of players and uh, the team collectively be able to bounce back from bad moments this season um, and that's why I bring up the good Branson thing, just in the context of here we are a, a week later, 
and he winds up, I thought, turning in one of his one of his best games of of the season. So that that's one of the things probably in the past week or just looking at the season overall is I've, I've liked the way that they've been able to um, bounce back from those moments when they haven't looked so good or the effort um, hasn't been there for whatever reason, for the, the result hasn't been there for whatever reason. But I've been impressed with the way that the coach has been able to keep this group together and how individual players and as a team, they've been able to, to recover from some of those, those bad moments this year. Yeah, 100%. I, I'm fully with you on the Cabranson stuff, too. I thought last night, you know, in that game against, uh, uh, man, how did I just Edmonton. blanking on uh, Edmonton? Sorry, I was going to say Calgary. I was like, no, it's not Calgary. Uh, the game against it's, Edmonton, it's, I think. It's, it's easy to lose track. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, I, I was tweeting out yesterday. I was thinking they're playing Vancouver, and that's next Monday night. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting my games all mixed up here. But, uh, no, I definitly agree. I really think that was Gabranson's best game in the Senators' uniform. Um, you know, he just – he looked more comfortable. He was clearing the front of the net. He was even making a couple nice breakout passes, and and it showed in the underlying numbers too. You know, like when he was on the ice, the shot attempts were 24-7 for the Ottawa Senators with Gabranson on yeah. the ice. And, and yeah. that was one of those things – and. You know, I'm one of the first people to jump on Good Branson. I don't think he's been particularly great this season, but even the mistake against Montreal, like he that the icing's fully on him. That's 100% on him. Yeah. But why DJ Smith kept him out there for that penalty kill after yeah, he iced point. the puck after yeah. a two and a half minute shift? I think that's more on the coach than anything else. And no, that's all that's all legit. And and that's the uh, you know that's the other thing that that maybe we lose sight of at times that. You know, this is a young coach too. Um, you know, DJ Smith is is early in his coaching career, and there's there's going to be moments when he's going to make mistakes. And you know, the, the thing that I keep going back to, there's nothing wrong with making mistakes as as a young player, as a coach, um, as a journalist. <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with making mistakes as long as you're able to uh, figure out why you made the mistake and figure out how you're not going to make the same mistake again. And, you know, hopefully this is, this is all part of the, the learning curve for the coaching staff, for the coach, yeah, absolutely. The coach a young coach as well. Yeah. I think that's an amazing point. You know, we'll, we'll definitely get into the, you know, the whole branch stuff. I'm sure later as well. And, you know, that's where I've gone so back and forth on Smith this year, because, you know, there's just a lot of errors that I, I'd rather not see him make, but there has been also to his credit, a bunch where he admits, you know, or he, he goes back and when he sees it's wrong, he fixes it. You know, I think of the Colin White stuff, you know, scratching yep. at the beginning of the year, he's one of their main contributors now, you know, yep. giving Stutzel, Norris, uh, Kachuk more, more uh, time on ice and just more defensive responsibility as well. It's, it's little things like that, where, you know, it is much better than, you know, in coaches past where I think with a guy like, Guy Boucher, he had his ups, but some of his downs were that he was sticking to his way and his way was not wrong. And even if it went downhill, he was still sticking with that, where I think we've seen early in the year, there's some stuff I don't really agree that DJ does appropriately, but there's also, I will admit, like I, the, his ability to take a step back and change his thinking, I, I've really admired lately. And, um, you know, one of your points earlier was just how this team seems to rally too. And, you know, outside of obviously that just horrible first 10 game stretch where they went one, one and eight or one, eight and one or whatever it was um, yep. since then, I really don't think they put in two bad performances in a row. And no, you know, they've been a, you know, they've pretty much been, if you divide, I think that, you know, yet they had the first 14 games in the last 14 games. So I think in the last 14 games, they've been a 500 team. Yeah. So and, they've definitely, and again, I think it's, you know, the kids finding 
the kids finding a comfort level. Um, you know, when we, when we look back in those games last week, um, you know, that was, that was Batherson's hot streak too, right? The, the six game goal scoring streak. Um, I think we've seen, we've seen the kids find a level of, of, uh, of comfort in playing. And again, I think it's uh, all those adjustments, what the coach wants you to do. How do you earn the coach's trust? How do you keep getting the minutes? And, um, you know, I think Batherson, Batherson's a great example of that, right? He had that little bit of a rocky period for a bit. And then um, he's bounced back wonderfully since then. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's probably been one of the, if not the Sens best forward since, you know, that little point. And, you know, we mentioned the goals, but it's even more than that too. You know, I feel like he's really learning how to play away from the puck a little bit. And, and that's been huge for his development to the point where it's like, I'm comfortably ready to call him like a top line winger in the NHL. And that is such a massive development for the senators. And I, that's a good point because I think the, um, you know, I think the other thing we've seen, um, as the season has progressed is, is a guy like Josh Norris as well. Like he's, you know, basically getting used like a number one center by the coach now. And I think there was a reluctance to do that. Remember he moved him up and down. They were going on the road. He moved him from the first line, basically down to the fourth line to try and protect him. But I think, um, you know, the, the progression of a bunch of these kids, like I said, 28, 28 games, whatever we are into the season, the progression of a bunch of these kids has really been quite remarkable and probably something that we haven't talked enough about because, you know, Norris is now, uh, you know, he's, he's on the positive side in the face-off circle. And it really looks like the coach has the trust now to use him in, in uh, almost all situations. And I think um, he's less, less worried when they're on the road about getting, getting bad matchups with with the kids you know i think he's he's much more comfortable now and that's a credit to the kids but they look like they're much more comfortable now in in whatever matchups they get on the on the road yeah it's it's funny actually i was having this exact same conversation with a couple of my friends who uh, aren't senators fans you know want a couple of them cheer for the leafs and and other teams as well and they were asking you know just how some of the kids are doing i was like it's honestly been the most encouraging thing this year because it feels oh, like anytime sure. Ottawa has a good game, it's, it's the Stutzels, the Kachoks, Batherson, Norris, Shabbat, you know, dragging them towards that. And, you know, yeah. uh, I would say some of the most disappointing players have been like an Evgeny Dadanov, who hasn't necessarily been bad, but he just hasn't quite brought what we were hoping him to bring. But, you know, in, yeah. in a learning year like this, again, it's all about development. It's quite okay when they lose games like they, they lost to Edmonton last night. You know, it was the, it was the kids that looked really good. And that's what you want to see, because again, that's the only thing that really matters this year is getting these guys yeah. ready and in big NHL situations, you know, and um, again, like this week was a perfect example where it was really up and down. I thought one of their worst games of the year came Thursday night against Calgary when they lost seven, yeah. three. Um, yep. it was just so many defensive turnovers from literally every, like sometimes you can point out and I know the vets take a lot of the heat, but I think there are some games where literally it's like, you know, Coburn or a good Branson turns the puck over. There was some of that in this game, but there was a lot of Stutzel and Norris had a bad turnover and Batherson had a bad yeah. turnover that led to Shabbat. a goal. And yeah, Shabbat yeah. had a couple and it was just, it was really an ugly night all around. It was one of those that you, you really just kind of want to forget if you're every single player on the ice. And, you know, uh, admittedly, I didn't get to watch the Sunday night game, but um, it, it sounded like they at least bounced back and hung in the game for that. And, and that's kind of the whole theme here where it's like, you know, you, you would have one just brutal game, maybe your worst of the season and you bounce back by taking another yeah. point or two. Right. 
Yeah, that's, that's, you know, and that's, you know, the point I was making earlier. It's just like every time you kind of think, oh boy, are they going to go on a slide now? Or is one of these young players going to go into, you know, go into a, a, a slump or have a rough patch? They've been able to rally and, and bounce back from it. I, and I think part of that you can credit to the condensed schedule because I think they, they do have that attitude of, you know what, you can just flush, flush a bad performance because either the next night or, or, or two nights later, you're going to have to be, uh, be back out there playing again. So I, I really think that's helped them in terms of, of attitude this year. There, there haven't been stretches where they uh, have had to sit and, and dwell on it. I think the other thing that's helped them, there's been a lot of things kind of subtly, I think, have, have been a benefit to the Senators this year. And the other thing is playing these like three game sets against the same opponent. Um, you know, it's, it's rare you go back and you look at teams' records in back-to-back games and, and it's, it's overwhelmingly in favor of a split, right? No matter where the teams are in the standings, it's just tough to beat teams two games in a row. And I think that's helped Ottawa too to avoid, you know, some of these uh, in the second half of their schedule anyway here. It's been, um, I think, a benefit to them in terms of avoiding these, these longer-type slumps is playing the same teams over and over because the odds are that you're going to bounce back and, and um, no team is going to be able to keep beating you over and over. I guess we could say the Edmonton Oilers have, have had their way with the Senators so far this year. But I think that that quirk in the schedule this year is, has helped them too, seeing the same team night after night and kind of make adjustments and, and figure out what's coming at you. But I think that's, I think that's helped Ottawa this year as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I didn't even think of that, but I, I definitely agree. And, you know, even with Edmonton. I, like even you yeah, look they, at a, you look at all those games with Calgary, like it seemed until they had the shootout game. Um, blowouts one way or was, the other, right? It was the shootout game. Yeah, they were all like overwhelming. It was like five to one for Ottawa or, and then, or six to three and then seven to three for for Calgary. And yeah, um, yeah. I, th- I think that's for some reason that's helped this year in terms of, of uh, not getting into these prolonged slumps. Well, it definitely makes sense in just from a logical standpoint, because if you're playing a team two or three times in a row, you get to kind of game plan them for them a little yeah. bit, right? So yeah, you see absolutely. something one night and then you can kind of change your game plan to try and affect it the next night. And I was, that yeah. was one of the biggest things I was curious if it would impact the season at all. And I, I think it's an amazing point. And, you know, even with Edmonton, like, yeah, they've taken a lot of the points from Ottawa, but to be totally honest, I have admired the way Ottawa has shut down Dreisaitl and McDavid over the past yeah. three times they played Edmonton. I know they had their way with them in those first couple games out West, but yeah. since then it, it's, they've done a great job shutting them, keeping them off the score sheet. Yeah. It's that the whole, um, it's been such an interesting year because it's opened the door for us to see some things that we never would have been capable of seeing before. Right. The whole idea of, of the Northern division, the group of seven with all the Canadian teams playing each other and this kind of, you know, baseball style, um, three games in a row against the same opponent. Um, and I know last week it seemed to be the popular opinion was, Oh, I'm so past the, the Northern division. Now I'm, I'm tired of it. Um, the thing that I, and I get that, but the thing that I have enjoyed and, and I don't know if it's possible for to continue with this, but just what we were talking about, kind of like the, the, the back-to-back games against the same opponent at home, or uh, three games, maybe you play two at home and then you go and play a game at the other team's rank two. And I, I've enjoyed playing the same opponent over and over. It's given me more of an appreciation for uh, players on the other Canadian teams because you're seeing them more often. You're seeing them night after night, which I've enjoyed. 
and I and I do enjoy the the kind of back and forth tactical stuff in terms of of coaches making adjustments game to game because you're playing the uh, playing the same guys. That's one aspect. When we get back to normal, whatever our new normal is, that's one aspect that I wouldn't mind them them doing is is within your division. And I have no problem with a with a schedule that's more heavily weighted and divisional play. Um, I'd love to see some of these two and, and three game series continue, even in a, an 82 game schedule. I, I just like the idea of the same playing the same team for two or three games in a row. I'm 100% with that. I think there's, you know, a lot of benefits. It cuts down on travel, which I think teams are going to like too, because yeah. you're not flying yeah. from Pittsburgh to Toronto on a back-to-back. And yeah. I, I also think it, you know, it helps even things up where, um, you know, you're going to be playing the same team three times in four nights and yeah, it sucks that you're unrested, but the other team's just as unrested as you are. That's so a it's a great it's, point. Right. So it's I, not yeah, like it a does. team has a super advantage, yeah. right? Yeah, no, I think it does. You know, I think it does tend to uh, level out some of the inequities of an 82 game schedule where you're right, where one team might be coming off a week off um, and winds up playing a team that's playing, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, third game in four nights or it's fourth game in, in six nights. And, and you're right. I think it would, it would level some of the uh, inequities that are inev- inevitable in a, an 82 game schedule. And I just, I kind of like that idea of, of two nights in a, two nights in a row, you're going to see the same guy. So I, I think that's something they should, they should look at. Um, you're not going to have a, a Canadian division again but I would have no problem with them waiting the schedule even more to divisional play. Cause let's face it. I mean, the playoffs are based on divisional play. So you should be playing the same that you should be saying, playing the same teams over and over to figure out who really deserves a playoff spot. And if you've got more games within your division, then it would be possible to have more of these, you know what, we'll play back to back in Ottawa on um, Tuesday, Wednesday or, or Wednesday, Thursday. And then, uh, back-to-back Saturday, Sunday in Toronto or in Montreal. Like I, that, that's something I'd like to see them, see them try and do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm fully with you where I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, cool experimenting that could be done with the schedule. And yeah. And I, I know, I, I know, you know wonder- some people are going to be like, well, if you stack the games up like that, or they're going to be finished with, you know, they'll be finished with the Leafs. You know, maybe they're, they're you're going to play the Leafs a bunch of times before Christmas and then not going to see the Leafs again until April. But that's why I'm saying if, if you, if you jig the schedule so that um, you've got even more games being played within your division, then maybe it's possible to have like three of three of those home and home sets over the course of the season and space them out. So it's not like you're going months without seeing the Leafs or, or seeing the Habs. Exactly. If you, if you play every team say six times instead of four, you know, you could do a, a set of three and a set of two and then a one-off or yeah. two, three sets who, of two, as you said, I, I think it would work perfectly. Yeah. And like who, I mean, I think everybody loves to see the other teams come in here. You want to see, you know, Connor McDavid and everything else, but I've, I've never been the biggest advocate that you had to play every team in the league, you know, yeah, every like, year. No one gets Especially up for an Arizona when, Coyotes game, right? Like it just, it doesn't well, happen. And, and that's it. I think for every, for every, um, you know, positive that there is where you're saying, Oh, I'd like to see, you know, Connor McDavid come into Ottawa to be able to see him play live. You're right. There's going to be those teams where you're just like, eh, do I, do I really want to see a rebuilding Los Angeles Kings team at this point? You know, maybe if Quinton Byfield's playing for them, you want to see them, but you're right. I mean, 
I don't even need to see Carolina to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, Minnesota, like uh, there's no. a bunch of these teams I could take or leave. And I'd rather see the Leafs come in here or the Habs um, or the Boston Bruins or whoever else you've got in your division, have them come in and play, play more often. So, you know, I think there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things that they could do to, uh, to build on the positives, I guess, that have come out of this, this uh, very unusual year and this unusual experiment. But I, I think there are some things that they could take out of this. And, and one of those things is, is playing um, your divisional opponents more often. Absolutely. I, I think I, I would be almost sad if they don't at least take something from this year, you know, and learn and, and try and bring it forward. Because yeah. again, as you said, like, yes, it's unfortunate circumstances. We had to do this for a year or whatever, but it really, it, it's been pretty cool getting, you know, like I know everyone's getting a little sick of playing the same six teams, but it has been a really cool experience because everyone's always wondered, you know, who's Canada's best team. And this year you definitely know who it is because you're all playing each other the same amount. And, you know, it's the same with the scheduling. Like there's a ton of different scheduling things that they could do this year. And I am genuinely curious to see how they bring it forward. And, you know, I I wouldn't be shocked if they don't do much with it, but I do hope that they really take a look at these um, just how things have worked this year and try and pick some good and bad out and, and go forward like that. Yeah. I think if if you're going to stick with, with the uh, and it looks like they are for a while. If, if you're going to stick with the divisional playoff format, then I've I have no problem at all with almost all the games being weighted towards divisional divisional play. Yeah, I mean, even if you it said play sense. every Western team once instead of twice, like right. I don't yeah. I don't really care if we don't have a home and home. Like if we only go out to BC and they don't come here or to you know out west in Canada, Just I really don't alternate care. Alternate it, yeah. Alternate yeah, it from. Year to alternate year, it from like, year to year split split the teams the western teams in half alternate it from year to year so um you know one year mcdavid comes here another year you know stutzla is going to go and play in in edmonton there were times when it was if i think back there were times when it was like that um, i can't remember the what the actual time frame would have been but there's been a lot of there's been a lot of unbalanced schedules over the year and like I said, they've opened the door for this now with, with uh, the divisional playoffs and divisional play. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think it was even that long ago where they didn't play. You didn't play the Western teams twice a year. It was sometimes right. just once. Right. But yeah. um, I guess speaking of a Western team, we'll, we'll get back to the, the games and, and not necessarily actually games, but I want to get your uh, thoughts on the Jeff Ward firing and, you know, um, were you surprised that it came after they absolutely, you know, I said, I thought it was one of Ottawa's worst games of the year. Calgary throttled them. And after that game, you know, the, the flames come out and they, they still can their head coach, you know, they, they've been struggling this year and they hired Brent Sutter. Uh, I just want to get your thoughts on, you know, were you surprised by the timing or, you know, at all by the move or anything like that? No, I, I don't think I was surprised by the timing because, you know, that had kind of been, you know, apart from whatever was going on with the senators, with them playing the flames, there was that that feeling. It seemed like the pressure was was building up. Um, my old buddy Eric Francis, uh, who's with Sportsnet now in um, in Calgary, but used to be a colleague at the Ottawa Sun, you know, wrote a piece basically saying that the senators were the free space on the bingo card, and that uh, the Flames were the one team in in the uh, North Division that wasn't winning all those games winning all their games against Ottawa and that, you know, maybe this would uh, increase the pressure. Um, So just, you know, just having that kind of stuff out there made it sound like the pressure was building on the coach. And again, I think this is, you know, the Jeff Ward firing and the Claude Julian firing in in Montreal 
which uh, I'm sure is going to make all the Sen sickles happy because that's one of the things they're living for right now is is seeing how much um, how much angst and, and pain the Senators can inflict on on the other Canadian teams this year. Um, I think it's another offshoot of the pressure of of a 56 game season. And the expectations in the Northern Division were, were really at the beginning of the year, apart from Ottawa, everybody had to figure they were a playoff team, right? Yep. Like Vancouver was coming off a good, a good stretch in the bubble, and everybody yep. thought they were going to build off of that. Um, the Leafs have their – go down the list. Everybody, everybody every, every fancied team themselves could, had a good shot at a playoff a spot, playoff for team. sure. Yep. And, um, you know, Montreal obviously felt like it was trending the wrong way, so they made their move. And I, I think those – those same, you know, external pressures had the effect in Calgary that they fancied themselves a playoff team and it was, and it was slipping away and that they had to make the, uh, and they felt like they had to make the move. Yeah. And I, I think it's fair. Like, I mean, I thought this, I thought this Calgary team was going to be the second best team in the division for like full blown. Yeah. I, I was really high on them going in the year and they've just, they've yeah. underperformed. And, you know, I was a little surprised just at the timing from a sense that, you know, I find in the NHL a lot of times one game makes such a big difference that I don't think it should make. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, even with the Claude Julian thing, the reports have made it sound like if they actually beat, if that goal didn't get disallowed at the end of the game and they beat Ottawa in regulation, Julian might have had a job for a little longer. And my opinion on that has always been if a play, if one point difference means you're firing your coach or not firing your coach, you should probably just be firing your coach anyways, because yeah, it doesn't sound like that. he's the guy for you. Right. And, yeah. and that's yeah. why it doesn't always happen, but it did here in Calgary. And I think it's like, I think they made the right call. If they don't think that he was the right guy, they, even if you won seven, three, you make the, you make the call because they've been struggling. And yeah. so I was more surprised, but I, it's a good surprise. I think, you know, they made the right choice. If that's how they felt, I was just, I wasn't expecting it maybe after that game. Right. And I, I, yeah, the, the, the whole Montreal situation is really interesting because you look at the play of, of Carey Price and, and he wasn't good. They've, and they actually found a backup goaltender who could, could give them a chance to win on the nights when Carey Price wasn't playing and Jake Allen was, was the better goaltender. The, the, uh, after a great start, the scoring completely dried up. And, you know, I, I just, I look at it and I wonder how much of it was Claude Julian and how much of it was carry price struggling and you know price has been better for whatever reason and and maybe that was the answer was you know um they needed to open the dressing room door and have some fresh air blow through there and maybe having uh, Claude julian removed from the situation and having dominic ducharme go in there you know was the answer but you know i watched the i watched the habs and the um and the canucks last night after the senators game and price was price was outstanding in that game. You know, he got, he got beat at the last second on a hell of a shot um, to tie the game. And then he was outstanding in the, uh, in the shootout. So, I mean, he made that incredible save. That's going to be on the highlights for a while on um, uh, Boser, I think best, Besser at the end, right at the end when he tried to stuff it by his glove. So um is Cole, you know, is Cole Julian the reason that Carey Price was struggling? I mean, they fired Stefan Waite, the goaltending coach, too. So I just, I just think the, the, the pressure of this, this short schedule and the expectations that everybody had is, is going to lead to those, to lead, lead to those kind of, of decisions. 
For sure. And, you know, I like Julian as a coach, but I, I do think it's also fair to say every coach has an expiration date. You know, sometimes oh, yeah. the message yeah. just gets a little stale. And um, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the, the old saying is show me a good coach. I'll show you a good goaltender. And I, yeah. I do think that's, you know, a little true on the other way too, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess transition to goaltending here too. One of the things I had on my list for Ottawa was uh, Murray versus Decord here. Uh, I want to get your opinion on both of them over the past couple of weeks. I, I think that Murray has definitely looked better than he did to start the year, but it, it's really weird to me because it still seems that he seems to go from one really, really amazing game where he looks like the $6.25 million goalie they paid for. And then he goes the next game and he just, he doesn't look like an NHL goaltender. And it's, it's honestly insane because it is so different from one, like a Tuesday to a Thursday. It is so different just to see his performance. And, you know, I think in net so far to court, I think he's had some ups and downs, but he's just looked a lot calmer in net to me than Murray has. And I'm wondering, I want to get your opinion on what you would do if you're DJ Smith here, because, you know, I, I'm on an opinion where I, I kind of want to start seeing Decord get a couple more starts here. Mm. The uh, TSN had that graphic that they put up before, not the last game, I guess the game before. And just, yeah, the, uh, the black and white of, of, um, the stats when it comes to Murray starts this year with the, the sub 900 safe percentages in one game. And then in the next game, you know, north of north of 900 and it's, it's played out that way for the last 10 games, this incredible inconsistency from performance to performance. And that's not what you want to see from your number one goaltender who you've signed to what some people think is an exorbitant, um, an exorbitant contract, both in terms of, of compensation and term. And um, he continues to be um, a scary for me, work in progress, because you just, you don't know what you're getting from him. And it, and it seems like the coach doesn't trust him to even play in back-to-back games, right? Remember that Montreal scenario where they gave him the complete night off and dressed Gustafson as the backup when Decord started against the Habs. And you know, you look at him play and, and he has been better, but, you know, I love looking at body language from goaltenders and, and, you know, we brought up Carey Price and it was the same thing with Price, you know, um, the body language just wasn't there and haven't seen that body language with Matt Murray. But to me, I have seen it with Joey Decord. Like he's got that little bit of swagger to him. And that game against Montreal, he played very well. And he, uh, I just liked he had a little bit of flair, a little bit of mustard on a couple of the glove saves that he made. And I think that's so important for the team playing in front of them. When, when your goaltender is kind of giving you that vibe that I'm on my game and, and these guys are going to have to make a great play to beat me. I, I think that kind of confidence can kind of, you know, radiate out from the net and help the guys that are playing in front of them. And I thought, he, he played another strong game last night against Edmonton. And I got into a little bit of a Twitter discussion last night with a couple of people that, uh, you know, my feeling is there hasn't, there hasn't been a goaltending performance that stole a game for the Ottawa Senators this year. Do you agree with that? I would say so. Yeah. I think there's been a few that have kind of kept them in a game, but fully stolen right. two points. I don't yeah, think they, so. they haven't had a win where you looked at it and said, wow, the, the goal. And, you know, even as well as Decord played last night, uh, you know, they ended up losing the game did he keep them in it yeah my point is there hasn't been a game this year where the goaltender stole a win for them and, and you would hope to see that 
a few times in, in the course of, of a season. If you have a legitimate starting goaltender, you'd like to hope that there's going to be a few nights where he's going to be the, the biggest reason that you won the game. And we haven't had that for the Senators yet this year. What, you know, I would like to see is, is Decord for me has played well enough. And he certainly played well enough last night to justify giving him a start in the next game. I have no problem with the coach firing a shot across Matt Murray's bow and say, just because we traded for you and gave you this contract and, and we want you to be our number one goaltender, that just because of all those things doesn't mean you're guaranteed to be the de facto starter. And if Joey Decord's got some momentum for himself now, um, I've called you know, a few times on TSN 1200, I've called this season the voyage of discovery because it's much less about the wins and, and figuring out who can play, who can't play, what roles they can, what roles they can play. Um, you know, are the players that, you know, are they who you thought they are or not? And why not start Joy Decord again, just to see how he handles starting two games in a row. And more importantly, let's see how Matt Murray responds when he gets a chance to go back in the net. So for me, that that's what this season should be about. And when it comes down to the goaltending now, I, I say, Joey Decord, here you go, kid. It's yours for the next little while. Run with it. And meanwhile, let Matt Murray think about it and, and see what Matt Murray brings to the table when he gets his chance to challenge for the job. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that line of thinking. You know, I, I totally agree with, you know, this whole season should just be about development, nothing else, trying to figure out what works, what doesn't, who you have and what players. And, and this is the perfect example to, and, you know, we go back to, um, I, I mentioned, I think the court just looks a lot more calm in the net. And the biggest thing I found with Murray this year is that it feels like he'll make a ton of really like awesome high danger stops. And then he'll just let in an absolute muffin yeah. that just cannot go in. And to me, you know, it's fair. When you're looking at all goals statistically, it's like, okay, one goal is still the same as the other. But I do think there's something to be said that when your team's trying to play a little bit better defensively, even if you make a nice stop or two after, it is just so deflating to watch your yeah. goalie just let in like a point shot that trickles by through five hole or something. And, and that's been the biggest issue with Murray's off games where there's one or two of those goals where it's like Ottawa's got some momentum. They come back the other way and just an absolute floater beats them. And, you know, I was – I, I do agree. The more I think about it, I was trying to, I was just going back through the Ottawa's wins and the last time Ottawa won a game without scoring more than three or two goals. I don't, it was the against the jets on February 13th. Yeah, so yeah, a month point. ago. Right. And yeah. so that's that goes back where, to my point about a goalie stealing, stealing a game for you. Right. Like exactly. They, they, there's been nights when they've been good, but when you look back on it, yeah, that the games that they've won, they've gotten lots of goal support. Exactly. I fully, yeah, I I'm fully with that too. You know, where it's like, there's been a couple where I would say even the goalie's been like really good, but it's not been, you know, you, sometimes you'll run into, uh, you know, the best, a hellebuck that'll just, he'll make 40 stops and, that's yeah. the only reason the Jets won the game. And they just, it, it's not even like they need that kind of performance, but they just haven't gotten it. And, you know, even last night, I know I, I saw you had tweeted one of my tweets on, it was the dry sidle goal. And right. um, yeah. I, I think we both kind of took some flack because I think the, the general consensus with that was, well, he's a top player in the league. How do you expect a core to stop that? And it was like, give a, give dry sidle credit. It was a great stop, uh, shot. Yeah. And, you know, Decor doesn't need to, but, but those are one of those yeah. where if you're going to steal a game, a that's got to be stopped. Right? right. It goes back to my point about a goalie stealing a game for you. And that means he should, he should, 
make an unbelievable save on a, on a scoring chance like that. And, and that one didn't even bother me as much as like the Chason one to the, to the short side. And again, it's, it's um, Zub got caught. He, the, not Zub's fault. He ended up getting caught as the, the guy back because there was a couple of bad uh, changes there with the long change in the second period. So there's lots of blame to go around, but I, I, I thought the Chason one maybe caught, Maybe caught uh, Decord leaning a little bit and and uh, guessing, cheating, whatever you want to whatever you want to call it. But the chase on one for me to the short side was a little bit a little bit more one of those ones where you you say, man, if he makes that save, they're maybe they've got a chance to uh, to win the game. Um, and again, that's not a knock on 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 uh, the overall effort by Joey Decord because he was the reason that it was a one goal game and they had a chance to. They had a chance to be in it, but uh, you know I, I would just like to see at some point uh, at the end of a game where we say and they've won, and you say wow you know the goalie the goalie won that game for them, and it's going to be again it, this whole season I think we spend most of our time looking at at least I do anyway looking at the bigger the bigger picture and and you know the picture gets bigger with each piece that you've got to to add to the puzzle. But this, this is making it really interesting for me in terms of what they do with the expansion draft, right? Because Joey Decord needs to be protected at this point because of his age and how long he's been a pro. And for me right now, I don't think there's any, any, any doubt that you protect Decord and expose Matt Murray. And, and you know what? If Seattle wants to take Matt Murray and his contract off your hands and go, go for it, like I don't have, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Yep, you know, I, I, I think it, and I say that, you know, speaking today on, on March, whatever it is, ninth, I, is that what it is? Yep. The ninth. Um, I say that speaking today on March 9th and we'll have to see how, how uh, Joey Decord does for the rest of, of this season. But I'm comfortable saying that right now, having watched Joey Decord and like I said, just love his body language. I love his confidence. I love the way he handles the puck. I mean, they haven't had a puck handling goaltender since Tom Barrasso's yeah. cup of coffee with the Senators um, back in the 2000s. So, you know, right right now, that's another intriguing storyline that I, I want to see unfold is, you know, is Joey Decord going to be able to step up here and be able to really, you know, become a 1A next to Matt Murray and, and uh, force that scenario with the expansion draft? Yeah. And, and honestly, this is something that, you know, with that, I, I wasn't a fan of the contract at the time it was signed, to be honest. I, I thought it was too much term for a little too much money, but, you know, yeah. I had had that take at the beginning of the year almost where, you know, I said it was, it was either, hopefully it's good because either you're wanting to protect Murray because he's actually been worth the money. But if not, you know, I thought they'd be doing this with Marcus Holberg because I was right. expecting him to do the decord stuff and he's just yeah. looked awful as well, but I am fully with you. And I, I, I saw a couple people tweeting the same thing. I, I think last night too, where, yeah. you know, once that expansion comes around, I would be fully okay with protecting if things keep progressing like this, obviously yeah, there's lots of time for things to change, but yeah, I would be I mean. fully I'm sitting here on March 9th. That, that to me feels like they feels like the way to go right now. Exactly. And you know, I, I don't think there's a wrong outcome from there because, you know, I, I don't see Seattle taking them. I think Seattle, they've hired a lot of analytical thinkers and, 
maybe they see something in Murray or in uh, yeah, Murray still, you know, he's still young. He's got two cups under his belt and, and they might need to hit the cap floor. Who knows? But yes. I mean, so if they, but if they take them, it is what it is, you know, then you have six and a bit million dollars to go work with. And, um, you know, you can, you can try out Decord, but if you, you're not confident about him, there's always goalies in the free agent market that you can, yeah. you can go and pick up, you know, like um, uh, not specifically him, but I think of what Carolina's done with Peter Morazic and James Reimer. Yeah. Those yeah. guys aren't flashy, but they'll give you in an 80 game season, they'll give you 35 to 40 decent starts where again they're probably not going to steal too many games but if you build a good enough team in front of them they'll be more than good enough to get it done and and so I think that would be an okay thing and if Seattle says no thanks we're going to pass on Murray well then you protected Decord and Murray and you can go at it with the same tandem again and see who can take that starters role again next year so I, I don't think you know if that's the outcome that happens I don't think there's a an actual bad option which is you know a, a nice feeling. To your, to your point about free agent goaltenders, <laughs> look what Chris Drieger's done for Florida exactly. yeah. this year. Like, you know, I've, I've in the early part of, of my career, um, if you didn't have a goaltender like, you know, Patrick Waugh, Marty Broder, Dominic Hasek, um, Ed Belfour, um, you weren't considered a serious Stanley Cup contender. Like, unless you had one of those Hall of Fame type goaltenders, you weren't you didn't, you weren't viewed as having a reasonable chance to win a cup. And that's changed so much now, you know, maybe the Detroit Red Wings were an exception with Osgood, but I always thought Osgood got a bit of a bum rap because I felt Osgood stopped the shots that he was supposed to stop. Like I, I don't buy into that, that narrative that a lot of people had about those great Red Wings teams that they won in spite of Osgood. I, I thought he gave them what, what they needed, but you know, we've seen it evolve now to, um, a situation where you're right. I mean, we've seen Antti Niemi win a Stanley Cup. We've seen Corey Crawford come from nowhere with no resume or reputation and win Stanley Cups in in Chicago as well. So, you know, if 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 Matt Murray hasn't definitively proved to you that he's the goaltender that could um, lead this team when we expect it to become a contending team, then losing him in the expansion draft is maybe doing you a favor. Like by, by the end of this season, if it's not absolutely clear that, that Matt Murray is that guy, maybe that's, maybe that's the way it should go. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you, you don't maybe want to be saying that in year one of a four year deal, but it just sometimes you swing the way it's going. I'd rather them, you know, at some cost, I'd rather them just cut bait. If that's the case, don't, yeah. I feel like so many times in, in any sports franchise, not just hockey, but hockey a lot, people try to double down and triple down and quadruple down on their mistakes. Like, you know, someone like uh, Vancouver to me is a perfect example with Louis Erickson and the Tyler Myers contracts instead of just accepting that, okay, these guys aren't good, you know, for the longest time, they tried to make Louis Erickson fit as a top six winger on that yeah. team. And they yeah. finally just accepted that he's a taxi squad guy. Whereas you look at um, say Calgary, you know, they, they picked up that Milan Lucic contract and it's an ugly contract, but Milan Lucic is now in a solid third line player for them who, yeah. as long as you don't expect him to score too much is going to be fine defensively. And I just think that is so much better of just, realizing that you have a sunk cost that you're not going to get the value you hoped, but yep. try and get the most you can out of it. And if that means putting him in a spot that looks bad for your team, but gets him more value on the fourth, third or fourth line, 
do it. It's the same with Matt Murray. If it means you need to cut your losses right away, you just got to do it because it is such a better option than going, no, 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 we're okay. We're going to try and force yeah. this. And, and, you know, wasting another year or two of prime development from some of your, your really young players. Yeah. No, as, as, as a guy covering this team, one, I said this on, on the radio yesterday, like it seems like almost every game you go into, there's some kind of intriguing storyline. And, you know, for a last place team, to have you know as 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 many interesting stories and positive stories. I mean, the Matt Murray one's not necessarily positive because you're trying to to see if he's going to be capable of of being that number one goaltender. But for the most part, every single night you go into, there's there's some kind of intriguing storyline that's that's emerged. Whether it's you know Colin White becoming, we haven't even mentioned Colin White and how good uh, a player that. Um, I'm not going to say he's become because we've seen him play pretty well in, in uh, other stretches, but you know, whether it's a, a Colin White or a Nick Paul or, or Batherson or Stutzla, I mean, Zub, um, there's been a lot of really positive stories with this team this year. And with all those guys, uh, you go into a game and you're saying to yourself, okay, can they continue to grow? Can they continue to do this? And with the guys that are struggling, you're wondering, are they playing themselves out of the league or, or are they going to be able to bounce back? Yeah, absolutely. No shortage of, no shortage of stories. No, no not now the all. next, you know, so now going into the next game, it's like, who's going to be, who's going to be in nets now? Are they going to play? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I know you I want to talk of... about Brent, but you know, I know you want to talk about Brandstrom as well. And and that that's in that category as, as well. I mean, we're still trying, I'm, I, I saw Brandstrom play a lot, you know, last year in, in Belleville. And there were times when I saw him play and I said to myself, there's no question that this guy's an NHL defenseman. And I don't know if he's a top four guy or whatever, but there would be no question in my mind that he would be a, um, a defenseman in the national hockey league. And then there's other times when you're looking and you're like, Ooh, I'm not, I'm not sure. And that's one of the charms of this season is, is seeing these kids and, and seeing their evolution and, you know, for the Senator's sake and their fans, you know, hoping that they're going to be able to make that that leap and become an NHL regular. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say Branstrom is exactly where I wanted to go here because, um, you know, I, I think the the take that I've settled on with Branstrom is, yes, he's still learning the game, um, but I just, it, it infuriates me when they fully scratch him. If it's for one game and you want to teach him how to, you know, what to learn or whatever, and you want to just get him to settle down maybe and take a step back, I can get behind that, but what frustrates me is the guy he's supposed to be quote unquote learning from is Braden Coburn who comes in that lineup. And I, again, I'm sorry, like maybe he could be great in the room for all I know. I don't know. I'm not in the dressing room, but on the ice speaking purely on the ice, Braden Coburn is not an NHL player these days. And it's just, it's one of those things where it feels like a lot of times, um, you know, we talked about Goodbranson having one of his best games the other night, which was great to see, but he has had, three or four really, really bad games over the past couple of weeks. And, and it, it feels just like for some of these young guys, it's, it's almost double standards where oh, there is, there, I don't um, think there's, there's no question. There's a double standard, right? Where, you know, branched them even Sunday night. Again, I didn't watch the game Sunday night. I saw that they, they ran into a ton of penalty trouble. Some of them yeah. kind of on the ref from what yeah. I hear, but, but branched barely played at all to end the game. And, and it's just one of those things where it's like you couldn't really like you're down a goal or you're right in this game and you can't get your second best offensive defenseman any ice time at all. And it's just one of those things where 
I, I, I try to understand where they're coming from, but then you, again, like you watch them play. We talked about Gabranson, a great game last night against Edmonton. I thought Branshaw, I thought that was his best game of the year too. He was flying out there. There was one shift in particular that I really highlighted and uh, I try to avoid just using one shift to find a game, but it was McDavid, uh, the stop, Joey Decord made about two or three stops on a McDavid breakaway. And then once that happened, they got back and Branstrump just boxed out McDavid for a solid 20 seconds to the point where Honestly, he probably should have gotten an interference call, but the refs are letting them play or whatever. And he took full advantage of that. And he, he just, he literally did not let McDavid get to the front of the net when he did, he gave him another shot to move him off. And I was like, that is the thing that I like, I I just, I want to see more of. And the only way you're going to see more of it from someone like Branstrom is if you give him more ice time. And I just, I really don't see the whole thing where he struggled a ton because he's been one of, and he, he has really easy usage. He starts a lot of his minutes in the offensive zone, but yeah. he's been one of Ottawa's best players from a, a possession standpoint. And I just, I'd rather see him get a little bit more of a role considering I don't think most of the options ahead of him are all that much better. Right. No, I think, I think the thing that helped Branstrom get off to a good start last night was good Branson getting the 17 minutes in, in penalties, uh, early in the game and good for good Branson for, for uh, stepping up after that hit on, on uh, Josh Norris. Um, but I think that helped Branstrom get into the game because right away they were down to five D. And I think I tweeted at one, he had played more in the first period than he did in the entire preceding game. So I, I think that helped them. I think that helped them get into the game and um I just, you know, I see enough flashes where you you want to have them give them, give him, you know, the time necessary to see exactly what he's going to be. And like I said, that's that's what this season should be about. And every now and then he just does something that, you know, despite the the negative stuff, he shows you a flash where you're like, wow. You know, I'd like to see that on a more regular basis. Like when he, sometimes when he just grabs the puck and skates it out of the zone, he's the one man, he's the one man breakout. Yep. Or and, last night he had a cannon of a shot that just rang yes, off the post. And that's, right? you know, that's the other thing that I like about him and which, which, you know, should give everybody hope that he can be a regular NHL defenseman is he zips the puck around. Like he moves the puck hard. And one of the things that impressed me in the, in the games I saw in the American Hockey League, he was really good at, at uh, changing his angle and being able to get shots through to the net. And they weren't necessarily like the, you know, the hard semi-slapper, but, you know, that wrist shot that just finds its way through, creates a rebound, creates a secondary chance. And I just think as, as uh, I think right now, he's probably more worried about just making sure he gets the puck in deep in those instances and not cause a turnover. But I think as we see him get more confidence, as we've seen a bunch of the other kids get confidence this year, I think as Eric Branstrom gets more more confidence, he'll feel better about doing those things, like just grabbing the puck and, and skating it. Because we've seen him a couple of times go from blue line to blue line and fly through the neutral zone. And uh, I just love to see him be given the green light to be able to, to do that a little more. I don't, I don't know if that's something that... I don't know if that's something the coaching staff wants to see from most of their players. Thomas Shabbat seems to have the green light to be able to go with the puck and then go in deep. Um, but I don't know if uh, the other players have that same kind of latitude. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, the big part of that is the reason, I mean, we saw it with Carlson for years as well, but the reason the, the Shabbats and Carlsons of the world have that rope is because they got so much speed they can get back on uh, yeah. with a whim as well, right? Yeah. And yeah. and I think Branstrom has that too. Like, I, I would love to see, for sure. absolutely, I would love to see him get the green light a little more often. And, and I would like to biggest... see him and I would like to see him and Thomas Shabbat have a race. Like, <laughs> yeah, so goal, he was goal, just... line, goal line to the far to the far blue line, just to see like straight line straight line speed who's faster i think yeah. that'd be a hell of a race yeah i mean they both got wheels and like um yeah. i'm trying to think what game it was four or five games ago but branchham just had a beautiful just as you said took the puck from behind his own net and just end yeah, to end against montreal I, I believe you're right yeah and yeah. literally it created a prime scoring chance they didn't get anything out of it but like it was like yeah. man like that just looks so good and, and it's kind of the, the one thing is why I don't want to see him scratched is because I feel like, you know, we've seen a, a ton with guys, whether it was Nick Paul a couple of years ago, or, you know, um, you know, guys like that, where it's like, when you get scratched because you know, you're going to make a mistake, you're playing not to make a mistake, not playing yeah, the way sure. you want to be. Right. Yeah. And, and Branstrom needs to play his game where yes, it's just like any offensive defenseman. There's going to be a couple of times where he throws just a pass where you go, what were you trying there? And yeah. it looks bad because it comes back the other way, but yeah. For every one of those, there's two of the passes where it's just a beautiful thread the needle right tape to tape to another guy and it springs a guy on a two on one or something. And yeah. and that's why I, I really do think that this team needs a couple more puck movers in their lineup because Branson's not that. Zaitsev is not really that, you know, I thought he's looked a little better this year, but even recently, I think he's kind of come back down to earth. Zub's look pretty good. He's been a nice, great addition, but it's not like he moves the puck with extreme scale. It's just, he makes the pass he needs to make, which is perfect. Yeah. But having a second guy behind Shabbat who can really just zip that puck up the ice and get the transition game going is so important. And if yeah. Branchum can become that guy going forward, I think it would do so much wonders for this team. You know, and they've got, you know, I, I like what they've done in terms of uh, giving themselves lots of lots of chances to hit on somebody because you've got uh, Bernard Docker coming up. You've got Sanderson on his way up. You know, Lassie Thompson's playing in the American Hockey League this year. So, you know, you're hoping that out of out of, you know, those three guys, at least that, you know, you're going to get two hopefully that are going to be NHL defensemen. And, and to your point, I would say that, you know, the, the uh, one of the strengths that all those kids have is the ability to move, to move the puck. So you hope that help is on the way. My, my concern, you know, going back to the, the five-year run of unparalleled success is that when you're depending on so many young defensemen coming into your lineup at the same time, and I still consider Shabbat, a young defenseman, you know, he's, he's just got over 200 career games in the NHL under his belt, you know, and everybody likes to say, you don't really know what a defenseman's going to be till he's played about 300 games in the NHL that, you know, we're still looking at a few years before those young D if indeed they make it um, before those young D come in and are, are the kind of guys that can backstop a contending, a contending team. Um, you know, at least the hope is there. You've, you've got what look like are some real blue chip prospects that look like they'll be able to do the job, but they're going to need a lot of experience before they're going to be in a position, like I said, to, to be the backbone of a contending team. So that, that for me is, is the challenge that, you know, the, the, uh, the window of the five-year run might have to be adjusted here. Originally it was what 21 to, it was 21 to 26, I think was, the original promise to spend to the cap and 
and uh, have this team be competitive. Um, that might have to be tweaked by uh, at least a couple of years um, as these young guys get the experience they need under their belts. Absolutely. And I think it's one of the main reasons why I never really fault any, any team, especially like Ottawa. I think evaluating the right players to go get is important, but go and get those players. And, you know, Artem Zub's a great, a great bet, a great gamble. You know, we're seeing the upside from him, but even, you know, I don't want to keep beating a dead horse, but retaining someone like Dylan DeMello would have been, you know, such just a a smart move to make because if you give him a three or four year deal, by the third or fourth year, hopefully someone like Lassie Thompson or JBD is ready yeah. to step up into that role. Right. Yeah. But you, no, you, I was, you I was be... really disappointed when uh, I was really disappointed when they didn't uh, keep Dylan DeMello. Uh, yeah. No, I talked to him, talked to him a lot. In my, in my uh, days back in those days when we could actually go in the dressing room, um, he wanted to stay. Like he, he felt like Ottawa was the, the team that gave him a chance to become a regular defenseman. He was stuck behind a, a pretty deep group there in, in San Jose and they couldn't put him on waivers because they were afraid of, of losing him in San Jose. So, you know, he would, he would be a healthy scratch for like 20 games. Um, and then he got his, his opportunity here in, uh, in Ottawa and showed himself to be a, you know, a legit NHL defenseman and, and maybe a top four guy. He's a top four guy. I'm, in I would say he's a, kind of a solid number three, four guy, right? Like, so, um, you know, I, I thought he would have been a great transitional player for, for Ottawa, just as you were saying, to have that, that steady guy, not flashy, but wouldn't turn the puck over, always seemed to make the, the right play. I thought he was a steadying influence for Shabbat. And, uh, yeah, that, that kind of guy, that kind of guy, to me, is the type of player they should be going out to try and sign next summer because i don't think there's any question they're gonna they are gonna have to go outside the organization to to grab uh, a transitional guy and and hopefully it's somebody like Demello and and not kind of the older guys who are are retreads and cast-offs from other teams and no disrespect to good branson or josh brown or those other but that's what those guys are and you know to to get a legitimate uh, legitimate a legitimate guy who can play in your your top four to take the pressure off those kids as, as they develop. I really think that that's a priority for the team this summer is targeting either through uh, free agent signing or through trade to bring in a guy who is in his mid to late twenties, who um, is capable of being a top four D and convincing him to come here. And maybe you're going to have to overpay a little bit to make that happen. But I really think that needs to be a priority for Pierre Dorian this summer to, uh, to consolidate that, that uh, the blue line until you get the kids ready to take over. I, I'm fully on board with that. And, you know, the, the, the only other thing I wanted to touch on, on DeMello too, was, you know, we hear this organization preach culture, culture, culture. And I, again, you were in the dressing room a lot and I never was obviously, but DeMello seemed like a genuinely good guy who oh, was just, the you know, wonderful like, stuff he did with the social media. Exactly. You know, like and their, like their, their department and, and he just like, yeah, he was everything that you'd want in a in a player, right? He came across as likable to the fans and and funny because he was was willing to do those things with with social media, and and just like a low maintenance guy for the coaching staff. You knew what you were going to get from him every night, and I think that was a big fail by the team in uh, in not signing him and keeping him here. I, I 100% agree. And that was just what I like it when it's the pain, painfully obvious to the fans that he's just 
a genuinely good dude because we don't always get to see hockey players' personalities. That's no secret. But right. DeMello just seemed like a great guy you'd want to be around. And that's why it's so frustrating when, you know, culture, culture, culture is preached and we want skilled defensemen. It's like, well, you just traded away both of those things on a guy who's yeah. relatively cheap. Like he signed, I think, was it a, a four-year deal at $3 million AAV in Winnipeg? Yeah. Like, like yeah. Ottawa could have afforded that for sure. But, you know, again, it, it, it's in the past. What can you do? But yeah, I, I really do hope that, you know, this off season, uh, some names that I had circled was, was someone like maybe on the fr- upcoming free agent list. They're a little older than their twenties, uh, but David Savard or Ian Cole are two guys who are 30 and 32. And uh, you know, they, Former they, they're Ian Cole. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get him on a second <laughs> stint here and maybe he'll <laughs> even paper, get to play a game. Who knows? Paper. Yeah. On paper anyway. Yeah. He could actually play a game the second time around. But yeah, I, I think either of those two would be, you know, a cheap enough option for a year or two where, you know, they're right now they're making yeah. 4 million, but I, I think they'll probably both come down from that a little bit, but hell, even if they don't for a year, I really don't care. And, and I think they would yeah. be an okay stopgap on your right side as a, a, you know, not the ideal first pair defenseman, but a guy who can shelter some minutes if you're going to get a guy like uh, Thompson or JBD in on that third pair next year at some point. Yeah. And um, you know, that's just, uh, and again, those are just two names I pulled kind of looking at cap friendly here, but I, I do yeah. really hope that they go out and get that and not, uh, again, no offense to Gabranson, but it's just, he's not an NHL regular, in my opinion. I think he's a fine seventh D maybe, but it's yeah. just not the guy you should be going and acquiring a bunch of, you know, which they did, you know, Josh Brown is, I had a little more high hopes for Josh Brown, but not much. Um, you know, they already have Zaitsev on that right side. So it's like, it's time to find some more guys on the right side who can help move the puck and, and, you know, just not be a complete liability, you know, on both ends of the ice. Right. And so I, I really hope that that is the off season plan because I definitely agree with, especially with defensemen, you know, I think it's overblown sometimes how much time they need, but there is one yeah. that you can't just throw them to the wolves. Uh, you need to at least give them Shabbat a chance to show. Example. Like, right? you know, Shabbat, Shabbat has been a, you know, it's been okay this year. Um, I still think he has his brain cramps when it comes to his own zone play. And I saw somebody on Twitter last night saying, you know, lay off a of Shabbat. He is what he is. And then this is what he's going to be for the rest of his career. Then that's fine. Well, for me, for 8 million bucks, that's not fine. You need, you need a guy who's very dependable playing against the other team's top offensive players. And for me right now, I don't, I don't know if Thomas Shabbat's defensive game is, is at that level. So to say, you know, this is what he is and, and what he's going to be going forward, I think is almost throwing your hands up and giving up. He, he needs to be better defensively. And I know there's still going to be people that are going to be saying, you know, lay off and just let him get points. And at $8 million slotted as your top guy, you have to be a two-way defenseman in the NHL now. So his, for me, there's no question his defensive game has to be better. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, 100% the tweet you saw was definitely mine, by the way. Um, oh. But but I, w- I will, and I agree, like, I, I don't, I'm not trying to say that um, he, like, no one should just be happy about where they are. Obviously, any NHL player should be wanting to constantly improve. Um, and, you know, 8 million, yes, you would like to see him be the two-way guy. But um, I, I do think that if they get him... I'm trying to think the right way. It not even help on it's a partner. I mean, don't get me wrong. No, I'm a thought. I'm a thought type a partner would be great it. for him, right? But that's that's not a bad way of putting it. He does need help because I, yes, I don't and, think there's a lot of us. There hasn't been much of a supporting cast around him. And for me, Zaitsev's not Zaitsev's not the answer. Like no, right now, no, you're playing no. you're playing Zaitsev with him because you really don't have any other choice. 
but it's clear that Zaitsev over the long term is is not the answer to make Thomas Shabbat be the best player that he can be. Exactly, and, and you know, maybe for me, Zub, I mean the first the first experiment with Zub wasn't good, but I think that was more a reflection of they're thrown together for a game, and when you don't have Riley and you put Zub with with Shabbat, you've got no depth on the blue line whatsoever. So that that game became a write off. Exactly, and but I think that's that's the other thing that's going to be. That's the other thing that's going to be uh, critical to this team's success on the blue line is finding a steady partner for Thomas Schwatt. Yeah. And even, or, you know, uh, I think the other thing that I kind of look at anyways, is I think they really need to hope if they can't, I mean, you need to find a partner for Shabbat. There's no excuse. There's no way you can go his whole career without finding him a steady partner. You know, like it's just, it's unacceptable. But um, the other thing I looked at too, was if you have someone like Sanderson come in and, you know, um, obviously not right away. It takes time for defensemen to develop. But I think if you're looking three or four years in the future where I, I do think there's a scenario where Sanderson takes a lot of those big defensive zone matchups, kind of like a Darnell right. Nurse might yeah. in Edmonton. Yeah. And then you let Shabbat run more wild in the offensive zone. And again, that yeah, doesn't I, mean I Shabbat. With that. And, and that doesn't mean he is he doesn't play defense. He needs to play defense, obviously. You're a defenseman, right? Like, um, But it, it's just one of those things where I think if you – that this team needs to do a better job at finding more players to help take the load off his shoulders. Because no, that's, that's I, I definitely think this year, it's very clear that, you know, when he's playing 27 minutes a night, he is very overwhelmed with just, it feels like I, some nights it just seems like he's got to do everything. Right. And, and yeah. I think some of that is him needing to take a step back and realize he doesn't need to do everything, but yeah. some of that's also got to be the team saying, all right, we're going to get you some more actual NHL defenders because um, it, it's been painfully obvious for a couple of years now that it's been Thomas Shabbat and then a whole bunch of guys who aren't very good usually. Yeah. No, you think back, uh, you know, the, the glory days of, of the Senators and they had that Philip Spolchenkov pairing, right. That went up against the other team's top forwards. They didn't ask their top offensive guys, you know, who would have been a, you know, a Wade Redden at the time. They didn't ask those guys to play, you know, the, the main minutes against the other team's top forwards. They kind of had that shutdown. They had that shutdown pair to play against them. Exactly. And I think, you know, that can be the case here. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to say Shabbat can't play or shouldn't play defense. Obviously, everyone wants him to improve. But, you know, I have thought um, I, I thought some of the criticism is criticism has definitely been justified because there are times where he just. He makes just a real, like last night was a perfect example where he just kind of, there was a couple shifts where he got caught out there a little long and it was just, he kind of like nudged a puck forward and it was just a bad turnover. It's like, just yeah. hammer that down the board where your, your winger should be standing. And I'd much rather see that. But then there's also other times where, you know, I, I think people are saying this year he's turning the puck over way more. And I'm not entirely sure that's the case. I just think people care more this year, you know, like last year, the defensive warts were still there as well. He has never been a good defensive player per se, but I think last year there was a lot of times where a bad turnover would get made, but it would be forgiven because the whole team was so bad that no one really cared. Right. Yeah. And, and again, like you want to see more growth because as a 24 year old, you know, ideally by this point, you should be progressing every single year. And I'm definitely there with you on that point. And I just, part of me, the other part of me wonders is yes, he's on a big paycheck, but you know, how much are we going to see growth in the fence? And I, I really come back to, I think the best, I don't know if it's going to be personal growth, but I, I really do think the best option will be getting him a steady partner like Mathot was for Carlson, where, yeah. you know, yeah. it's going to be a guy who can play some defense, no, can help him 
kind of know where he should be going in the defensive end. So he's not running around as much and just give him another option to help break the puck out. I, I really yeah. do think we'd see his, his defensive results get better. Yeah. I, you know, the, the, the turnovers thing, I think is sometimes um, too much weights put on that. If, if you're a, a good offensive player, you're going to be leading the team in your team in turnovers. Yep. In many cases, uh, the league and in, in turnovers like I think about Yaramir Jaeger uh, Sidney Crosby I mean all those guys have been way up there in turnovers because they've got the puck so much I mean Carlson led the league for just years by in turnovers him, right you know like, just just by the volume of touches that they have absolutely they're, they're going to turn the puck over like everybody does and the number's bigger for them because they just have more reps um, and I think Shabbat to a certain extent falls into that category I, I would rather look at kind of the uh, it's the wrong way to put it the, the quality of the turnover or how big of a disaster it, it causes um there's going to be times when you're going to try and do things as an offensive player and they're just not gonna they're just not going to turn out and the puck gets turned over you just don't want to see those glaring you know dumb turnovers like the other night he goes around the net and comes out on his backhand and now doesn't really have much of an option in the face of the four checker because he's on his backhand and i think he, he tried kind of a a backhand pass from there and just the percentages on on a backhand pass going um out of your own zone it's low let's face it and you know i would just like to see him clean up his game that way and and make some better uh, decisions which put him in better positions to be successful in terms of of moving the puck yeah, absolutely he's such yeah. a talent and you oh, know and that's the yeah. thing that gives you as a senators fan that that's the thing that would give you hope it's just he's got so much so much talent uh, for me it just needs to have like a little bit more of a, a focus a focus to it for sure and i think you know again the, the awesome thing about that is the easy part in the nhl is to teach defense you can't teach skill right you know like you're not yep. going to teach a guy to fly up the ice and you know go through a bunch of guys which shabbat can do but you can yeah. teach hey when the puck's getting cycled here you want to keep your head up and look and, and make sure you're taking your guy in front of the net or if yeah. you've got the puck behind the net this is where you should be looking right and and, and, and so I, much, I do oh, go ahead, so sorry. much yeah. of what coaches are doing now like when you've got those gifted offensive players it's basically making a deal with them right like i don't want to and it would be foolish for a coach to handcuff the offenses of uh, offensive abilities of, of any player by putting too many defensive restrictions on them. Like you've got to kind of strike a bargain with them. Look, the minimum I need you to do when we don't have the puck is this. Yep. And I feel like that's what they need to do with Shabbat a little more. It's just give them a little bit more structure in terms of, of here's what we need you to do. We love when you, you create offense for us, but, and, and I think a lot of that, goes back to your original point about finding him a comfortable and dependable partner because i think then that makes it makes it easier to define what you need shabbat to do in in the defensive zone so yep. you know it continues to be like so many different facets of this team it continues to be a work in progress but for me that's what makes the senators so interesting right now not just you know on a game-to-game -game basis but also now from season to season to see the evolution and, and how all the pieces are going to fit together and, and, and uh, what are the other pieces that they're going to need to go out and, and get? Cause I don't have any, there's no question to me that they're going to have to make a couple of big uh, free agent acquisitions to get this team where they want it to be, to be that contender they've talked about. Absolutely. I mean, every team does, you know, like even, you know, you look down the road and Toronto did that with uh, 
brought in Muzzin. Now they brought in Brody. Like you're going to have to spend some money, you know, Tavares alone, but like, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think the the one really good point with the um, quality of the turnovers um, not quantity is, you know, you can look at expected goals against, and if you put it per per 60 rate, you know, it helps try to even out the ice time for everyone. And, and yeah. the only yep. players worse at giving up uh, expected goals against per 60 on the ice on, on the Sens blue line are Josh Brown, Eric Branson and Braden Coburn, which I think are widely considered the three worst Ottawa Senators defensemen. Yeah. And yeah. Again, this isn't all on Shabbat, but it, it does say something that, oh. you know, when he's on the ice per 60 minutes, they're giving up more chances than say right. Zaitsev, Branstrom, Molan and Riley and Zub. And that's something I think he can, he can turn around. And that's, and that's goes back to my point about, you know, working with them to say, you know, here's, here's the minimum that we need from you to fix that number. And, and let's get that mo- number moving in the right direction. And that's why it's so important for it to be on the coaching staff to come up with a plan for them. Right. And, and figure out how you still maximize his wonderful talents without, without, um, putting the demands on him defensively that are going to subtract so much away from those talents that he's not the player you expect him to be or want him to be or fulfill his potential. So there's plenty of challenges to go around for everybody involved. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people My find pleasure. you and, and your work? Yeah, I mean, um, doing a lot of stuff for uh, TSN. 1200 these days both um usually the in in the box um slot from 10 to 2 um pre and post game shows on uh, a regular basis usually at least one game uh a week and uh that's what's keeping me busy these days and and uh you know trying to engage with people on on uh, twitter that uh, you know want to have a uh, a reasonable and um relatively educated debate about what's going on um, part of the charm of Twitter is you could put any opinion out there and you're going to find people that will disagree with you, which I have no problem with. And I'm happy to, uh, engage in debate as long as it's, um, civil and based on, uh, on, based on good, good opinions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll tag your Twitter in it when this comes out for anyone who wants to follow yeah, you. Thanks. Um, and I'll, yeah, I'll no, of course. Sure. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. This was, this was awesome. I, I really enjoyed the chat um, and I'll have to have you on again, you, you know, down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it.